The following is a message by Pastor Ken Prater of Durkeytown Baptist Church in Fort Edward, New York. For more information about Durkeytown, please visit our website at www.durkeytown.org. That's D-U-R-K-E-E-T-O-W-N dot O-R-G. Why would, um, why would God and Haggai chastise his people because his house was in ruins and they were more concerned about their own house than the house of the Lord. But now Jesus, who with his disciples comes out of the temple, and one of his disciples says, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones and wonderful buildings. Why would Jesus then say, Do you see these great buildings? There will be not one uh, left stone upon another that will not be thrown down. Chastisement. And now Jesus says that temple is going to be gone. Only the prepared remain unafraid of judgment. Only the prepared remain unafraid of judgment. Whether it's the judgment that will happen this week in the sheep barn or the tractor pull at the Washington County Fair or the judgment you face when you go to get your car inspected, only the prepared are unafraid of judgment. This past week, the Center for Disease Control, the CDC, made public a review in which They admit the need to, and I quote, reorganize their agency due to their failures related to the pandemic. uh, To quote CDC Director Rochelle Walensky, for 75 years, CDC and public health have been preparing for COVID-19, and in our big moment, our performance did not reliably meet expectations. The big idea for today's sermon is found in three words. We'll put them up on the screen and leave them there for a bit. The words are judgment, vindication, and mercy. I tried to put those words into a sentence, you know, that would grab your attention. Um, But my literary performance did not reliably meet expectations. I hope that you will not judge me harshly and that this sermon will at least be somewhat of a vindication of my efforts. In 2003, the Reverend Jeremiah Wright of Chicago preached a sermon in which he said that black Americans should not sing God bless America, but instead say, and some of you will remember that that quote, God damn America. That sermon did not make news until 2008 when Barack Obama ran for the office of President of the United States. So offensive was the sermon by Dr. Wright that even Barack Obama had to distance himself from his pastor. For many Americans, the rhetoric used by Wright was highly offensive and remains so. You might be wondering, why am I using this as an illustration? Well, here's why. 
When we non-Jews read the things that Jesus says in his Jewish context, we struggle to understand just how controversial and offensive they were. As Jesus and his disciples make their way out of the temple, Mark tells us that one of the disciples commented, just made a comment on the beauty and the wonder of the temple. But then what Jesus said in response would have sent shivers up and down the spines of those who heard him and would have been as offensive to the Jewish ear as Jeremiah Wright's sermon was to so many Americans. Why would Jesus say such a thing? He is Jewish after all. He's a Jewish rabbi. He's a prophet of God who is supposed to be supportive of the restoration of Israel. A restoration, by the way, that would have had the temple as its centerpiece. Why would Jesus say that there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down? Well, to answer that question, we need to think again about Mark's presentation of Jesus during the final days leading up to his crucifixion. It began, of course, with the entry of Jesus into the city. It went to the cursing of the fig tree, to the cleansing of the temple, to the condemnation of the religious leaders. All of these are signs pointing to the reality that Israel had not brought forth fruit in keeping with repentance. That was John's message at the very outset as he made the way of the Lord straight. Bring forth fruit in keeping with repentance. Jesus himself preached messages of repentance. And three years later, Israel was no closer to repentance than it was when Jesus had begun. Instead, what did they do? They continued to harden their hearts against the message of God's mercy. And in light of this judgment, would come. But if you were in Jerusalem during the week of um, Jesus' death, you might have concluded that the prophet Jesus of Nazareth was the one unprepared for judgment. After all, by Friday afternoon, he is stripped naked, he is nailed to a Roman cross, and he is left to die between two criminals. His dead body is taken down from that cross and placed in a borrowed tomb. In other words, not even his own family was ready or prepared to care for his dead body. There was no uprising by his followers. One of the twelve had betrayed him. Another had denied him. All but one ran from him. There was no vindication of Jesus. Or was there? Or was there? A few sermons ago, I suggested that it would be helpful to read these chapters with what is called the threefold ministry of Jesus in mind. We'll remind you of that. It'll be up on the screen. You can jot it down. In Mark 11 through 13, Jesus is presented as the prophet. In Mark 14 and 15, Jesus is presented as the priest. In Mark 16, Jesus is shown to us as the king. 
What Mark 13 does for us is provide a hinge, as it were, that uh, shuts the door or closes the prophetic ministry of Jesus while at the same time opens the door to those other two offices that he holds. So just for the sake of trying to help structure this sermon, let me put it in an outline form. Mark 13 is about God's judgment on Israel. That judgment would fall within 40 years after the ascension of Jesus. But Mark 13 is also about the future vindication of the prophetic work of Jesus. A work then that continues through the apostles and through the church in the proclamation of the gospel as the message of mercy goes out to the nations. So while Israel is being judged over this immediate period of time after the ascension of Jesus, the gospel again begins to go forth and the gospel continues to go forth to the nations, vindicating the words of Jesus, God's prophets. But Mark 14 and 15 will tell us about the immediate judgment of Jesus. The judgment that would happen within just a few days of this moment here in Mark 13. And this judgment then fulfills the priestly work as Jesus both sacrifices himself for our sins and as our great high priest offers himself as a sacrifice for our sins and lives today as our great, great high priest making intercession for his people. That's Mark 14 and 15. But then Mark 16 is the vindication of Jesus as God's king. When, through God's power, Jesus is physically raised from the dead three days after his death and ascended into heaven, exalted to his throne, he rules and reigns over all things, as we sang already in this service, until his glorious return, which is going to happen, according to Jesus, at any time the Lord can return. But as Mark writes, Mark, uh, as he writes this, this, what we have as chapter 13, and the church is reading this, the, 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 the storm clouds of judgment, the storm clouds of what is graphically uh, talked about in this chapter are, are already out on the horizon. Uh, in the events that took place between 66 to 70 A.D., in what is known as the Great Jewish Revolt, Jerusalem is overrun by the Roman legions. The abomination of desolation that Jesus talks about in verses 14 through 18 takes place, along with the destruction of the temple. It is indeed a time of tribulation, as Jesus talks about in verses 19 through uh, 20. Five, when people need to be fleeing to the mountains, they need to be running. Don't let anybody tell you, stay behind. No rescue is going to happen. Jerusalem is going to fall. One Jewish rabbi who's a Jewish historian estimates that in that period of time, upwards to one million Jews were killed by the Roman armies. Everything that Jesus said in his prophetic words came to pass after his ascension leading up and to 70 A.D. 
But I want to remind you that as the judgment is falling, as the judgment is coming down on Israel, the faithful Israelite, Jesus, is being vindicated as his message of salvation goes out into the whole world. This, this beautiful imagery that you have in verse number 26, that the Son of Man is coming in the clouds with great glory and power, and he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds and from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven, actually took place as the Spirit descended, as the power of Christ, the risen one, comes through the message of the church, and as I said, continues to today. What is the meaning of an angel? It is a meaning of a messenger. And the messengers went out, and the messengers continue to go out to the ends of the earth even today. That is why every single time we have a missionary in this house, you ought to be here. If for no other reason than to remind you that the words of Jesus are still coming true, that the messengers are still going out, and the gospel is still going to the hardest reaches places of this planet. In fact, the hardest reaches places that are all around us right here where we live. And this will continue again until the glorious return of the Lord. And so these themes of judgment, vindication, and mercy are important for the church to consider because, like the disciples, we need to take serious the repeated warning of Jesus for his disciples. Verse 9, be on your what? Guard. <laughs> be on your guard, right? Look at verse number 33. Are you with me? Verse 33. Be on guard. What are we to do? We are to keep awake. Why? We don't know when the time will come. Now, there is a, a sense in which Jesus is speaking to his disciples about the very moment and what is coming immediately, but the general principle is true as well, that we need to stay awake. We need to be awake. That's what Jesus says in verses 35 and following. Therefore, stay awake awake and again at the end of the chapter what does he say stay awake i mean think about this here these disciples leaving the temple thought they were just going to comment on the beautiful architecture they get an entire lecture on the disaster that is coming and their need to stay awake and to be faithful to go out with the gospel message why judgment is coming Christ has been vindicated and is being vindicated. He is the king. He is ruling from heaven. He is ruling from on high over all of the earth. It begs the question, doesn't it? Are we on our guard? Are we staying awake? Are we ready? Are we going out actively taking the good news of the mercy of God to the nations, to our nation, to these communities all around us. And I thought a pertinent question for the time in which we live would be the one that Abraham asked when he bargained with God for the life of his nephew Lot. You might remember that from the book of Genesis in chapter 18. God had told Abraham that he was going to bring judgment down on Sodom and Gomorrah. And then Abraham begins to barter with God. And he asked God, Will thou also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Will you destroy the righteous with the wicked? It was Ruth Graham, the wife of the famous evangelist Billy Graham, 
who said to her husband, Billy, if God doesn't come soon and bring judgment upon the United States, he is going to have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. Ruth had been reviewing a chapter that Billy had written that described the sinful conditions in America. That was in 1965. It shouldn't escape our notice that in 1965, politicians were eager for the endorsement of Billy Graham and his preaching of judgment, and who essentially said the same thing that caused the politician to run away from Jeremiah Wright in 2003. Have our ears shut up about the coming judgment and about the sins of our own nation. You see, for many Christian Americans, the assumption is that we will be taken away from this place and then judgment will come. But as you read this chapter, what you have to conclude is that Jesus is preparing his followers for a judgment they will have to endure. A judgment they will have to endure. And this kind of endurance will require a firm understanding that although faithfulness to Jesus may look foolish, it is not foolish because Christ has been vindicated. And this, I think, has been lost on the church. That we have positioned ourselves, in a sense, hostile against the culture in which we live, instead of courageous against that culture because Jesus has been vindicated. He is the king who rules and reigns over all things. The world was turned right side up through the bold preaching of the mercy of God that was declared to be in the resurrection of Jesus, and that bold proclamation transformed and continues today to transform entire nations. But you know, at the point of this uh, moment when the disciples are listening to Jesus, I would suggest that they really don't have much of a grasp on what he is saying to them. Right? I mean, even uh, just before his ascension, remember what they say to him? Oh, are you going to restore the kingdom now? <laughs> is, is, it our, is our time now? You know? And Jesus says, no. <laughs> you must have forgot what I said, you know, a few days ago. It's not time to, you know, for the kingdom to be restored. You see, but once the Spirit came, they received not only power to proclaim the forgiveness of sins and the justification of the sinner through faith in Jesus, but they also began to understand that all things would be restored through Jesus. That the gospel was more than about an exchange by which I leave this place and go up there, but the gospel is really about something so much bigger and that is all things being restored in Christ. That heaven and earth truly will come together in Jesus. And that the restoration will not be a national Israel with a temple rebuilt, but the church. Because there is no need for a temple. Why? The Spirit of God dwells within the people of God. What did Paul say after all? You and I are the temple of the living God. Do you not know that? Paul said to the Corinthians, don't you know that the Spirit of God dwells in you, that you are the temple of the living God? The restoration will not be national Israel, but the restoration 
will come through the witness of the church, and the restoration will be made up of people from tribes and tongues and nations, all who have the Spirit of God in them, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, one Father of all and in all. That's the great hope of the gospel. That's why we need to pick up our courage, not our hostility, and go out into the nations and into this nation, into our neighborhoods or where you work or play or whatever it might be, and share the hope of Christ, his death, his resurrection, his glorious ascension. You know, I'm going off my notes here for just a second, but, you know, I think sometimes, you know, even still in America, you can kind of get away with telling people that Jesus died. And crosses are everywhere. Right? They kind of get that. You might even get away with saying, well, you know, I think Jesus rose from the dead. And they go, oh, yeah, okay, somebody rose from the dead. But if you say to them that there is a king exalted in heaven who is ruling and reigning over all things, including your life, and he's coming again to bring judgment to the living and the dead, they're like, whoa, you're out of your mind. You're out of your mind. And yet, everything that Jesus said would come true did come true in this chapter. And everything that Jesus said you know, will come true that is yet to come true is going to come true, including his glorious return. So what does a biblical response look like today? What should we as the church be doing? Well, think about those three words. Judgment, are you prepared? Only the prepared are unafraid in judgment. Are you prepared? Or do you simply have external religious practices? This was the problem with Judaism. It leaned into the externals, but there was no heart change. This is true of the church. Many people who frequent the church sing the songs, read their Bibles, whatever it might be, but their hearts, their lives, the interior parts not been changed are you ready for judgment are you ready for the day of the lord to come are you confident that jesus indeed was vindicated are you grounding your truth in the resurrection of jesus and what the implications of resurrection mean and are you considering and grounding yourself in the reality of his ascension and exaltation I'm sure if we did, you know, a quick quiz, everybody pretty much has down, you know, Jesus died on the cross, my sins can be forgiven. We, we are really limited in our understanding of the implications of the resurrection, and even more so as to what it means that he ascended and is exalted on high today. And yet it is in all of those truths that we can be confident that Jesus was vindicated continues to be vindicated and one day will be fully vindicated as every knee bows and every tongue confesses what jesus is lord to the glory of the father are you ready for judgment are you confident in the truth of vindication and are you overflowing with mercy are you overflowing with mercy the death of jesus is for the forgiveness of sins and the justification of the sinner so are we fervently praying 
Do it again, Lord. Do it again. Pour out your spirit. Pour out your spirit. There was a time when in our county and the surrounding counties, the towns and villages, people went to church. People loved Jesus. People were present. They were there. They were living for the Lord. And that time sure seems to be slipping away. But there's no reason that we need to despair. Can't we say it again? Do it again, Lord. Pour out your spirit upon us. Let us be a people who are overflowing with mercy on people all around us who know virtually nothing about salvation in Jesus Christ. As Mark closes the door on the prophetic ministry of Jesus here in 13, the door swings wide open to the superiority of the priestly work of Jesus in chapters 14 and 15. And I hope you'll spend some time reading it because Jesus is no politician. Jesus doesn't just talk. Jesus takes action. And note that the action moves into the house of a man who is a former leper and centers on a woman whose reputation was not all that great as she anoints Jesus for his coming work. And may we be ready then to hear this word because we are on guard, staying awake, ready, ready, ready to hear the word of the Lord. And so may the Lord give us the help of a spirit to do what we often pray. Read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest the word of the Lord. Father, I give you thanks for your mercy to us today. I pray that we would have ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church today. And in doing so, we would not just only be strengthened in our faith, firmed up in the reality of Jesus, but, oh God, that we would then be uh, emboldened to go out and speak his name to others Do it again, Lord. Do it again. Do it through your church, I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Ken Prater of Durkeytown Baptist Church in Fort Edward, New York. You may freely copy and distribute this message, but please do so at no charge and without altering the contents in any way. For more information about Durkeytown, please visit our website at www.durkeytown.org.